Hello, welcome to another episode of the world famous podiatry detectives with myself and the rather rugged looking Tosif who obviously hasn't shaved and made an effort for me today, which I'm actually quite offended for. Um, this is uh, episode three of season two. We're going to be talking about Achilles pain. Um, and the final episode of this season is going to be during Christmas week where I'm going to get Tosif to dress up as Santa and um, he's going to be making a video. Tosif, how are you, sir? I'm okay, thank you. I'm, I'm very good. You, are, you have been very busy today. I can see the ultrasound behind you. Uh, yeah. Has it been utilised today? Yeah, a couple of, uh, couple of times. I had uh, somebody coming in with, with Morton's neuroma and I had uh, somebody who came in with uh, plantar fasciopathy. Yeah, it came very handy. Brilliant. Oh, well, they're in the best of hands with you. Um, so we are going to uh, move forward towards this presentation. Um, I hope you can see this. Now, uh, we're going to be talking about Achilles pain. Now, when I created this presentation, I'm going to be leading on it, but we're going to be having a discussion also. Um, I ended up creating 87 slides, and, that, and then I realized that this is a three-hour presentation. Um, which I should be doing rather than a, a short video. Um, so this is a reduced presentation, but I think everybody will find it very interesting. Um, let's see if I can move forward. Now, let's define, first of all, what Achilles tendinopathy is. Now, it is, it is an overuse injury. It's caused by repetitive energy storage and release, and you get compression. So you get mild, um, it's mainly uh, a degenerative process. You get a small amount of inflammation in there. And this can lead to a worst case scenario, a rupture or a tear. And um, there's some references there by Klein and Baxter in 1992. Um, before I talk about the spring, do you see many cases of Achilles tendinopathy, Tosif? Yeah, I see at least and not the all uh, all the time. Do you ever find it frustrating, or do you find it quite simple? What relatively simple to treat? Um, for I think uh, over the periods uh, of the time, my rehabilitation has become much uh, improved, and I think communication, rehabilitation, I always knew, but the communication with the patients, um, uh, the athletes that I tend to see are um, quite good i really enjoy working with them and because they are really on the ball with you mm -hmm. and uh, it's generally when the uh, general public um, they can become a little bit um, um, they don't understand the fact that uh, it can take up to like three months uh, to kind of rehabilitate the um, Achilles tendon and they lose the patient absolutely um, it is about setting expectations mm -hmm. uh, absolutely so um when I, when I, why have I got a penguin, a rather cool looking penguin with shades on? Because we need stiffer Achilles tendons to minimize strain. Why do we need that? Because tendons are similar to steel springs, as in they return energy. They don't produce energy. And that's what makes us go forward. And if we look at the Achilles tendon in, in general, um, it can stretch as much as 10% of his resting length. So that's something to bear in mind. Yeah, elastic force, it is uh, the stiffness with the amount of stretch. 
now if we look at what happens in a muscle at at the beginning component of muscle activation you get this eccentric um contraction of the muscle then you get an isometric contraction and then a concentric contraction i'm going to go through these phrases in a lot more detail when exactly. we talk, when we talk about the rehabilitation process because then a lot of this will will make sense um but the can you, the, Abed, can you tell the viewers what is eccentric and concentric i'm going to be talking about it a bit later so i'm going to talk about it a bit more later where when you've got the video it will actually make a lot more sense um rather than me going through the theory itself now as you can see a picture of brad pitt i actually think i'm far better looking than brad pitt but that's just my opinion uh you can I agree with you, Abed. <laughs> you can laugh all you want but there you go uh the reason why i've got a picture of brad pitt because he played the uh hero achilles uh in a movie and uh as the theory would go or rather the legend achilles was made vulnerable by his goddess mother Thetis, who plunged him into the river uh, strikes by holding onto one heel. Then uh, that was where he was wounded by a poisoned arrow uh, from the bow of Paris during the Trojan War. Now, that's where the term Achilles comes from, by the way, which is quite, I found quite interesting. But moving on to more pertinent things, what is Achilles tendinopathy? Now, first of all, it is one of the most it is the largest tendon in the body. It's one of the most common conditions we see in primary care. The majority of tendinopathies are self-limiting, as in, in the early phrases, they tend to resolve. However, uh, that's a quote by Carnet in 2000, over 10% of patients can have persistent symptoms that fail to respond to routine treatments. Uh, it is a non life-threatening condition but it can have massive effects on your on your social economic impact uh, that's why sanders at all in 2015 um let's just move forward now this study we're going to talk about a bit more this is an awesome study that was released last year in 2019 it looked at all the teams in barcelona and it looked at the tendinopathies over an eight-year period Tosif. Now, if you, look at, if you look at these sports, there are six sports here. First one is basketball. Achilles tendinopathy accounts for 19.7% of injuries, only second to knee patella tendinopathy. In men's football, it's 4.9%. It's the third most um, commonly occurring tendinopathy. In roller hockey, it's only actually 1.4%. Now, there may be different considerations for that, but that's interesting. Um, in handball, it's 4.4%. Now, in futsal, which is the top right-hand corner, futsal's like they play it with a smaller football. There's a lot more intricate um, dribbling going on. There's a, there's a lot of um, quick acceleration and like deceleration, which is why I think it accounts for 7.9% of tendinopathies and in women's football it is 2.3 percent now to see what are the sports that you tend to see tendinopathy with now what isn't here is just normal running but are there any specific sports i think um, i've seen a couple of cricketers again it's not very well documented <coughs> excuse me in cricketers but i've seen some cricketers Runners is a massive one, of course. Absolutely. Um, 
and then there is uh, just general public. That's true. That's true. Um, now, persistence. <laughs> These are niggling injuries. So the, it really talks about the insidious gradual onset. By the time they've come to us, they've had it for a little while. Uh, it's very rare that a patient will come to a podiatrist like myself or to see when they've had it in the first couple of weeks. They will think that it will go away on its own because once you've warmed up, the symptoms are a lot better. And there's yeah. two quotes there by uh, Kajula 2005 and Fairstrom 2002. Um, causes. Um, it is unclear. It is unclear. There's been, uh, there's been a lot of talk about an overuse injury, about you going outside your envelope of function. Um, we've, we've spoken about the envelope of function of, in, in previous videos. There's obviously intrinsic factors like your um, sex, body weight, uh, type of foot, foot you have, if it's a high arch foot or it's a flat foot. Um, there's, there's extrinsic factors like if you change the way you run, type, type of footwear you'd use, uh, if you've had a previous injury, um, and it's associated with a lack of flexibility also. Um, is there any other causes that you may want to talk about or see at this stage? No, I think, I think you've covered uh, everything in there, so... Um, now, this is a study that a lot of podiatrists and physiotherapists refer to. It's by Cook and Purdom, and it talks about um, how we don't have tendonitis we when you uh when you put a load through a tendon it uh, it tries to repair itself so if you put excessive load through it you'll get a degeneration but normally you get a reactive tendon and you get tendon disrepair and it normally sits within that that spectrum and also if you underload your tendon and then you suddenly start to load it like if you're sitting behind a desk all the time and then you load a tendon too quickly, that can lead to this continuum that you have. Um, and often from that study it is focus on the normal part and forget about the uh, middle bit, now the um, degenerative bit. First time I heard this, I always found this quite uncomfortable. Um, and it's almost like it's, it's like Bible for podiatrists and physios now. They don't question it. And it's only when I read the work of Dr. Seth O'Neill, who's in Leicester University, who's done quite a bit of work on tendinopathies and Achilles tendonitis. Uh, and he looked at UTC scanning quite a bit that it really made me think that maybe that's not the case. Maybe once the Achilles tendon is, um, has had some issues with it, you can return the types of collagen back to its formative state. But we'll talk about that a, a bit later on. Um, let's talk about the histology. At any stage I'm talking to see if you can feel free to stop me and um, we'll have a conversation. Um, but I'm, I'm not going, I'm going to be talking a lot more about the uh, treatment a bit later. So maybe we can, um, maybe that you'll find that a bit more uh, interesting. <laughs> um, so it is an overuse injury. Uh, we get collagen degeneration, and um, you can get scattered vascular ingrowth with areas of calcification and zones of hypervascularization. Now, 
the risk factors. Now, this goes back to causes in a way, but we know that obesity, high blood pressure, rapid changes in load, type 2 diabetes, prolonged steroid use, the use of certain antibiotics. I had a patient who went to India to do some work, was there for a couple of months, got a stomach infection. They gave him these antibiotics, and it's going to escape me, but I think it's fluoroquinines. Fluoroquinines. Um, and that led to his Achilles tendinopathy. Um, and he struggled after that. He really struggled. He's had shockwave and all sorts. He ended up having a high volume in, uh, injection with myself, which managed to uh, resolve the symptoms, but all the rehab in the world wasn't doing it. Um, other factors such as inappropriate footwear and the elderly population. Can, can you think of any other, any other risk factors? No. Cool. Okay, so words really matter when it comes to this condition. One of the things I don't like is when patients just use the word Achilles pain because there are a lot of different types of Achilles tendinopathy. You can get paratendinopathy, you get tendinosis, uh, it can be at the musculotendinous junction with, uh, with like soleus. You can get an insertional Achilles tendinopathy. You can get intrasubstance tears, which I'm picking up a lot more now than before I've ever done because my knowledge of ultrasound has improved a lot more. Um, and we treat that differently to uh, mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy. Um, I think the advent of ultrasound has really helped with our diagnosis of Achilles tendinopathy. Um, wouldn't you agree, Tosif? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, what else? Let's start off with the first one. Tosif, tell me the difference between plantar fasciopathy and Achilles tendinopathy. Um, well, uh, they are on the other end of um, calcaneus. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. That's right. So it can be sometimes patients think they've got plantar fasciitis because they Google it uh, and then they start doing the exercises. A calcaneal stress fracture. Um, if you're doing high impact sports, if you're a female athlete uh, and if you haven't watched our previous videos about the female triad and, um, and like red S, uh, if you have got any factors that make you more um, susceptible to getting calcaneal stress fracture, that can happen. Um, heel pad syndromes are deep bruises within the heel. Um, Haglund deformity, this is when you get a bony prominence on the outside of the calcaneus. And this is when it's, it's enlarged posterior superior aspect of the calcaneus, which is important to differentiate between a posterior lateral bump, which is pump bump, but um, something that we can talk about at some stage. Severs disease occurs in kids uh, and it's uh, traction apophysitis. We've, we've spoken about that in our previous video in detail, which I'm not going to talk about now. Um, posterior ankle impringement. That is a differential diagnosis. What happens is the flexor hallucis longus tendon goes behind the talus, sits in a process called like Stider's process. You can either have an enlarged stidus process or you can have an accessory ossicle at the back of um, the talus, which is ostrigonum, and that can lead to a uh, tenosynovitis of that or some pain in that area. 
um, it's important to be able to uh, differentiate between that and mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy. Um, uh, you can get retrocalcaneal bursitis. Sural nerve entrapment is an interesting one. It, it'll happen on the lateral aspect of the, cal of the Achilles tendon, and they'll get pins and needles and burning sensation. I've seen this misdiagnosed by, by health colleagues, and um, it's not Achilles tendinopathy. It is, a, it is an issue with the sural nerve. Um, so it's one to watch out for. Um, you can get issues with the sciatic nerve, that can lead to pain in that area, uh, which is why podiatrists, you need to know how to do the slump test and the straight leg raise and other um, neurodynamic tests. DVT, you know, I was gonna say it's very rare, but I have had a patient who I sent to hospital who had DVT and um, he thought he just had a cough strain um, and he wasn't getting better, but goes to show. Um, partial Achilles tendon rupture, you can't, really missed that but there you go have i missed any other differential diagnoses no no so see if you're being very quiet that's always concerns me um <laughs> okay this is a study done in 2007 and i think it's really interesting to be able to look at the achilles tendon and look at the insertion where the free portion is now, insertional case endopathy isn't as common as the free portion. So during, I separate this into proximal, middle, and distal. Uh, and when you look at it on ultrasound, you'll see this bulging of the mid portion of the Achilles tendon. And you'll see a hypoechoic area also. And you also, you might get pain when you uh, press onto it. Um, it's not obviously we don't just rely on um, ultrasound we do clinical tests as well um, this I found really interesting now as I was talking about Dr. Seth O'Neill this is UTC scanning and I think this is this may be the way forward when it comes to scanning you can see different colors there and that tells you the different types of collagen that the uh, patient may have now this has been um, done a lot in horses in the equine, but it's starting to be done in humans now. And um, the question that I had was, you know, we're often said, we're often told that treat the patient, not the scan. And I actually think that's a lot of bullshit. And I'll explain to you why. If I, you are, people are right that if we scan 30, 40 people, we may find Achilles tendinopathy without no symptoms in a certain percentage of them. Now, is it because they haven't done an activity that can lead to symptoms? So is it because they live, is it because they're working behind a desk or they, they don't do any running? What if one day they decided to take up a sport, take up running, trying to lose weight or X, Y, and Z? Would they develop a tendinopathy? within the Achilles tendon. Um, that would be an interesting, interesting study to do. Um, but I do think maybe not an intervention but to try and treat a problem that has no symptoms, but maybe somebody should be aware of it. And um, maybe they can do some exercises to prevent any further issues with that tendon. Um, what's your views on this, Dosif? 
It's an interesting view, I think, and uh, uh, yes, there is, uh, I can understand that where you're kind of coming from, um, in terms of uh, the uh, treating the scan, not the patient, and uh, yeah, it does make sense, but it would be really hard to achieve. It would be, I mean, it's, it's a hard clinical dilemma. So I, I obviously, when it comes to MRIs, we don't really focus on incidental findings. But when it, when, when it comes to Achilles tendinopathy, um, I'm rather um, conflicted. But let's move forward. Um, okay, so this is, a, this is something that I didn't even know existed until about four years ago. <laughs> um, this is a study done by uh, Morrissey, um, Otto Chan actually produced the study as well. So the fascia cruis actually encapsulates the posterior aspect of the calf and connects to the paratendon of the Achilles tendon. You can have a rupture at that stage, at that point. It's really, I've tr I, I mean, my ultrasound skills are good, but they're not that good. I find it hard to pick up. So I've had to send them off to a... Uh, radiologist when I'm in any doubt uh, and the radiologist has picked it up and we treat it differently have you ever come across this no it is very rare and I, I'll be honest with you most podiatrists change your management plan how would that change your management plan I'll end up doing a uh, I'll end up doing like a, glu uh, a glucose injection uh, mm -hmm. into that area and putting them in a boot for six weeks and it works well I've done it for a few patients I wouldn't give them the rehab that we normally give because um, I would treat it differently or I'll just get, I'll just get them to put them in a boot straight away. Um, clinical features. You get morning pain and stiffness, pain around the Achilles tendon after activity uh, and it can, you can get more severe pain after prolonged running, stair climbing or sprinting. Um, clinical examination. So, Obviously, we're going to look for muscle atrophy, swelling, uh, asymmetry. Uh, atrophy is an important clue, as it can tell you how long they've had it for. Um, range of motion, testing the strength and flexibility uh, is really important. Palpation, probably the most important thing. Um, we're, we're, we're looking for palpation. We're looking for tenderness um, and palpable nodules. Now, the, the ARC test and the Royal Hospital test, we'll talk about in a bit more detail later. Um, and I'll often get the patient to do hopping on it and maybe do single leg heel raise to see what their functional status is. And also ultrasound. Is there anything else that you want to add to the clinical examination? No. Cool. It's a, a lot of uh, mid-portion, um, Tendinopathy is quite an easy one to diagnose, even in the clinical setting uh, uh, with the palpation. Um, so, so, yeah, it's a fairly easy sort of diagnosis, um, especially from the, the mid-portion. I think with the advent of ultrasound, it's really helped. So we've been able to rule out uh, bursitis, retrocalculated bursitis. We've been able to rule out, um, have a look at how much, um, like, neovascularization we've got within that tendon, which can change the way we treat it. But we'll talk about that a bit later. Arc tests and Royal London Hospital tests. I think they bought the same thing, really. So basically, what they do with the arc tests is they uh, have the patient lying on the stomach, they palpate the most painful bit, and they get the patient to 
uh, going to plantar flexion and dorsiflexion. So moving their foot up and down. Um, and they're seeing if that lump moves or not. Um, with the Royal Hospital test, the idea is you do the same thing. If you go into maximum dorsiflexion, then that, and there's no pain there, that indicates that it's a tendinopathy. And, uh, sorry, that indicates that it's, um, it's a tendinopathy, that's right, sorry. So they're trying to distinguish between that and paratendinitis. I get very confused with these tests. Um, do you want to clarify it? No, no, you, you've done it. <laughs> I um, hope I have. If, if I've made any mistakes, I'm sorry. Um, uh, and please feel, please feel free to tell us on the video. This is something I saw recently and it's something that we should bear in mind. So I had a patient with gout coming with Achilles tendinopathy. And uh, they actually had um, a intratendinous tophus lesion. And you can see it there. So um, if you've got inflammatory arthritis like gout, um, we would treat this differently um, to normal mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy. Um, Gutosif did an awesome lecture um, last week about um, inflammatory arthritis and talking about the different kinds of medication. So we might be looking at medication rather than rehab for a patient like this. Um, so treatment. Now, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. This came from a film called Forrest Gump, which must be the only film that I've fallen asleep in the cinema watching, you know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you ever watched it. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, have you watched I, Forrest Gump? I think I've actually seen the... Um, little snippets here and there. Um, oh. My wife thinks that it's the most awesome movie ever. Seriously, she, I, she, might see, she might look like she must love like dull movies, which is. Well, by the way, Amir Khan, the, um, the Bollywood actor, he's actually thinking to remake it. Okay. Um, so, this is a toolkit that was developed by Dr. Alex Scott. I'm gonna briefly go through the toolkit. So this is how it would be. The patient presents with the pain in the Achilles region. You do your history and physical examination. For example, you've diagnosed mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy. You, you take some baseline assessments. So a visa A is like a um, prom, like a, a like questionnaire that you give the patient um, and you take some, you, you ask the patient questionnaires. Um, questions regarding their uh, condition. Now at that stage, you can consider doing uh, low level laser therapy, prolotherapy, uh, and other adjuncts like um, heel, uh, heel lifts and acupuncture. And then you give them rehabilitation. And then you reassess at 12 weeks. Uh, and then you look at their biomechanics. Now, that sounds quite simple. But wait, there's loads more. When it comes to Achilles tendinopathy, it's never that simple. And look at this, we've got loads of different interventions you can do. The top three we're gonna talk about in a lot more detail. Um, rehabilitation and eccentric strengthening of the triceps psoriasis we mentioned by a few people, Stanish 1992, Kerwin 1986. Extracorbial shockwave tr uh, treatment, which is what EESWT is, and high volume image guided injections, which is one of my favorites. Um, and we'll talk about it a lot more. But look at prevention, sensible training programs was also talked about. 
1984 by Stavish. Early medical attention, Mufuli, I'm a big fan of actually, I really like him. Um, and then there's other things like activity modification, deep friction massage, foot orthosis has been spoken about a few times, uh, therapeutic ultrasound, regenerative medicine, taping, acupuncture, Graston, the list goes on and on and on. And I haven't even mentioned lasers, class four lasers. Um, there's so many different ways you can tackle this problem. Um, is there anything else that I've missed out? No? Okay. Um, the only thing which I am thinking is that it is really comprehensive and uh, will we be able to get it done in, uh, in an hour? Uh, we'll see. Okay, so um, this is my personal Achilles and of the Diagnosis for me is key. Uh, rehabilitation forms a foundation of everything that I do. Um, everything. So, and I tend to give orthotics as well. My second line of treatment either is extracorporeal shockwave treatment, or I might be moving into class four lasers. Uh, and then we're talking injection tr uh, uh, treatment. And then I go back to rehabilitation. Re rehab is, for me, forms the cornerstone of everything I do when it comes to Achilles tendinopathy. Uh, do you have the same sort of um, paradigm for your treatment? I, I do. Um, I'm just getting a call from a window cleaner. He's standing outside. Um, so I, I just wonder if you guys, if you want to carry on and I can quickly give him instructions. Okay. I'll let you talk to the window cleaner. I hope it's a window cleaner and not, um, it's not because I'm boring you or something. All right. I'll let you get off to the window cleaner and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this and you can feel free to well, join in, in the middle. So Okay, while Tosif is speaking to the window cleaner, or he says he's speaking to the window cleaner, I don't know what else he's doing. Let's talk about rehabilitation. Now, rehabilitation is the goal of tendinopathy treatment is to improve energy storage capacity of the tendon. It is the ability for the tendon and the associated muscle to work and manage load, especially acting as a spring. Now, in my head, there's three main elements for exercise and rehabilitation. So we've got isometric uh, uh, loading, we've got isotonic, and we've got energy storage. So I wish he was here actually, this is really interesting. Um, the main types of uh, training programs we've got is the Alpherson protocol, which came out in 1998 actually, which is an eccentric uh, treatment protocol. Uh, we've got uh, the like Silbernagel one, 2007, and they've, he's also, they've also produced a 2020 version, which I'm going to go over a bit later on, which I think is very, very good. And I'm a big fan of that. I'm also a big fan of heavy slow resistance, uh, which is a contract in 2009, 2010. And there's a different ways that you do the actual rehab, but ultimately we have to load it. And, I, and we're looking at, on the right-hand side of the screen, you can see the six stages of rehab. So we're, we're from, from like stage one to six, we're looking to uh, reduce. I am back. Brilliant. How was your, how was your window cleaner? Well, uh, this is the first time I'm having the windows cleaned. So uh, he's a mate of mine that plays the cricket with me. So I've just quickly said to him that I'm on the call. Can you please crack on there? Um, and uh, we'll talk later. Okay, cool. So as I, I was just going over the six stages of rehab now, um, 
we've got the stages to reduce the pain, improve the strength, build functional strength, increase power, and then we're going into advanced rehab there in like in like stages five and six. But yeah. ultimately, we've just got to load it, just load it. And this is an awesome quote by Dr. Peter Maliaris, who is an associate professor, and says that these things do not improve with rest. The pain may settle, but as soon as you return back to activity, you're going to get pain again. So you've got to load it. You have to load it. Uh, Cook and Dock in 2015, this is often quoted, uh, and it talks about the different stages from your current capacity to your required capacity and trying to build up the endurance and compression loads during this, uh, during this process. So I'm going to go over, uh, hopefully this will press play. I'm going to go over the different types of loading. So isometric loading is the most common one. Now, as you can see from the video, the patient, the patient is going up on one foot and they try and hold that uh, for a certain period of time. And we may change that period of time for different patients. The other way to do this is you, you get into a lunge position with your knee against the wall and you're working further down the tendon there and you go up into an isometric loading position. And you can also do it with a TheraBand where you're pulling on the TheraBand and you're holding that for a, certain, uh, for a certain period of time. And we will adjust that based on the individual patient. Now, um, the, the next version after that is isotonic loading. Now, incremental eccentric loading that we tend to recommend to patients. There are different ways of doing this, however. Um, now, I'm going to, first of all, press play, if I can get this to play. If not, I will have to go through it. Okay, fine. Now, there's different ways of doing this. You can do it on a... Um, you can do it with some dumbbells or you can do it on a leg press like this, like this uh, particular person is doing. And the idea of it is to bring the foot down all the way and bring it back up. So this is the Alfredson protocol. So it's about eccentrically loading your, your actual Achilles tendon. The way I explain to patients is you don't have to go all the way down. You can go in increments depending on how much pain and discomfort that you have. Uh, and you can work your way down slowly over a certain period of time. Um, but loading up the tendon in that, in, the, in that manner can help. The other, op the other way of doing it is doing that heavy stroke resistance also. Um, is, do you have anything to add about that? You, you froze for a second, but... Uh... Okay, I hope, I hope it's recording. Um, the, the next... And final, final part of rehab is for energy storage release. Now, the, I like patients doing skipping. This is at the end of our 12-week program, uh, uh, and that's the A-march. And what, what I also like them doing is this kind of movement with like a speed ladder. Uh, and then they can work on the treadmill and stuff like that. And we're trying to get that fast energy release going through the Achilles tendon. Um, lower body perturbation. Now, perturbation is when you are off balance. Now, Tosif did an awesome set of videos with, with one of his patients uh, on Instagram and Facebook. I would highly recommend you watch it because he went through a whole ankle rehab. Uh, but essentially, we are trying to get the patient to stand 
on a on something that's going to make them unbalanced and make them forced to balance um and you can change that up by um by like throwing a tennis ball at the patient so he has to catch it so he's got that fast reflex uh and um so he's got these awesome lights that you have to quickly touch also uh when you're on one foot which uh, i think are awesome is there anything you want to add because i've gone through this quite quickly because i'm conscious that we've got a patient coming in in 15 20 minutes um, okay, this is something that came out this year by uh, like Silbernagel. It's 2020 and he goes through, he's got a new, they've got a new um, three-phase rehabilitation for Achilles tendinopathy. Uh, and it's very, very interesting the way they go from the different types of phases to manage symptoms, to rebuilding, to returning to sport. I would highly recommend that you actually view this uh, actual uh, study itself. Now, extracorporeal shockwave treatment it is uses mechanical energy, and it passes through the skin into the affected area. Uh, the idea of this treatment is to increase blood circulation and activity in the cells, uh, and it can be uncomfortable while you're having done, but I think it's really good. I often get patients to have about four to six sessions and it can really help. Uh, do you like shockwave treatment, Tosif? Yeah, it's, um, I think it's a, it's a really good uh, adjunct to what we actually do, and um, the evidence coming out with the shockwave is very promising. Yes, talking about the evidence, here is the current evidence for it. Um, so this, there are three or four papers here. There is some really good evidence regarding the use of uh, extracorporeal shockwave treatment for Achilles tendinopathy. Now, this is the final one I'm going to focus on a little bit more. This is high volume image guided injections for mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy. We've got four legends on this paper in 2003. We've got Otto Chan, Dr. Nat Padia, uh, the late, great Professor King, and, and Dr. Crisp. Um, all four of them I am massive fans of. Uh, if it wasn't for the late, great Professor King, I don't know um, if the UK would be such a hub for like sports medicine. You really grew sports medicine. So the way that um, high volume image guided injections work is 40 mil of injectable saline with 9 mil of 0.5% marcaine and 20% of dipomedron into the Kager's fat pad. Um, have you, you've done one with me, have you done any more? I've done one with you and that's it. I'm going to get you doing more of it. Um, so after the injection, we get them to rest for three days. We get them to do three days of eccentric loading, according to uh, Alfredson, and they can return back to running in seven days. And they're normally back to training in about two weeks. And we repeat it sometimes. I have done now uh, 40 odd plus, and I touch wood. I have, everybody's gone back to their activity within two to three weeks. Uh, and I, I think this is a really good option. Um, I, do, I do like high volume image guided injections. Not everybody wants to be injected. And if they don't, then we've got uh, mid portion, we've got uh, eccentric training as well. So we've got quite a few studies here. Uh, Dr. Bozian has done quite a few randomized control trials. I think he's done two now. Uh, Professor Mufuli's done it, uh, and we've got a few other ones here also. Now, in the interests of transparency, a study came out this year 
that found that it was not effective. Uh, this was a study done by van der Vist. However, they didn't use any steroid at all. Um, and I don't know if that was one of the things, but they didn't find it successful. So that's something to bear in mind. Um, some, we've got some emerging treatments. This, one, this is from a study from 2006, and it's the use of class four lasers, which has been used to treat all sorts of musculoskeletal pain. And they found that it can be effective in reducing symptoms. Now we're nearly at the end of our, our um, presentation and you'll be happy to um, hear that because I've been talking a lot. Uh, and Dulcie's been looking at his clock thinking, I've got a patient in 10 minutes. And so have I, young man. So you're not my, my, patient is, uh, my patient is after you, so I'm okay. just looking at time. Oh, are you worried about me? That's nice. Okay, so um, um, tendinopathy is more than just a load. And the psychosocial impact of it, you really need to take into consideration. Uh, and I think patients with Achilles tendinopathy they face fear and uncertainty regarding their tendon pain. This is from the like, this slide is from the like running physio, Tom Grimm, uh, which who I love and you love as well. Uh, and I think the psychosocial element of pain is something that we should not just uh, dismiss. And this is why I'm going to speak about it a bit more. So um, we are not just treating the body part, we are treating the person themselves. Uh, so use your ears more than your hands. Listen to the patient. Um, they know their pain better than you. Pay attention to the language and don't say any stupid shit. And I can't emphasize this enough. When patients go to doctors and podiatrists and physios and they use the words like, we need to be careful, otherwise this might rupture. Or um, They put a negative thing regarding the pain, so they use the negative words regarding the pain. Um, that can have long-term implications. Um, you're not there to fix them, you're just there to facilitate it. Now, even with the high volume image guided injections that I do, I still insist on patients doing the rehab, and I, it's something that I try and empower the patients to do, to try and manage their long-term outcomes. Um, don't lecture them, have conversations with them. Um, and don't be patient. Don't expect to change their beliefs overnight. Use analogies. And I use analogies a lot of everything from Goldilocks and the Three Bears to, um, to with like, with like a, a like, uh, hose pipe with a kink in it. Many other analogies I use, which can help the way that you manage your patients. Uh, I'm sure you're going to agree with me to see if that we should be careful with the way we speak to patients. Absolutely. I've actually had a patient this morning uh, who, um, it's a very valid, genuine question, isn't it? Uh, that if I do, if I keep on doing it, will I make it worse? Will I damage it more? And I think giving a patient confidence that uh, um, tendinopathy is tendons, they like loading and they need to be loaded um, and giving them confidence that uh, no, they're not going to damage it more. They just need to be modified loads and uh, reassuring them. Okay. I had a patient yesterday who had been to a consultant who he came to me with back pain because he thought it was from his flat feet. Got an MRI of his spine. He said L4, L5 has got some like degenerative process going on. 
And that scared the living daylights out of him. So he's now going around looking for experts, from physios to podiatrists, to help him. And I was trying to explain to him that it's quite normal that when you get older, you get wrinkles in your face. And you might also get, although I'm, uh, hopefully I'm not getting any, but you'll get wrinkles on your face and you'll also get wear and tear happening in your body. But that doesn't mean that you've, that you've reached the end of your end of your expectancy to function the way you want to function. Um, uh, just, to, just to stop you there, um, in terms of the wrinkles, what's the secret? Is that your uh, young age and uh, stuff or uh, you're injecting the Botox which is meant to be for feet? The, the secret is going to the gym at 7 o'clock every morning, young man, and working and lifting as heavy as you can. Uh, until you're in pain, which you've been to the you've been to the gym once with me, and you realise how much pain you were in afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> which that's why I never took. I should have reported that. Um, that's why I never took you off and off going second time. Uh, so, okay. in conclusion, diagnosis, diagnosis, diagnosis. Learn to diagnose my fellow colleagues properly. Understand the differential diagnoses, and uh, make sure you're not barking up the wrong tree. Um, if it is mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy, load the structure. Load it. Understand this is multifactorial. You might have to start thinking about the psychosocial element of this. Um, understand the needs of the patient. If the patient is just a weekend runner, is one thing. I see loads of footballers. They have different demands that are going through their feet and their Achilles tendon. I need to adjust my rehab appropriately. Adjuncts, including invasive ones, can be of benefit, but ultimately, as I said before, just load the damn thing. Seek advice from a brilliant sports podiatrist like my colleague Nassif, and uh, if you can't get hold of him, come and see me, who's second best, but at least go and see one of us, uh, and they can, um, we can recommend the best course of treatment. And as always, um our famous, famous last, last slide with myself, who's a bit overweight, which Dosif told me I am recently, and the skinny one, which is Dosif. That's my patient. Just, let me just put this on mute. Okay, I'm back. Um, that was my patient who's downstairs now, but... Um, He's actually 10 minutes early, so um, we can chat a bit more. Is there anything else that I have missed out to see? No, you've done, um, it, was, it was an amazing, um, amazing presentation. I really enjoyed it. I think uh, from, uh, this, uh, from that presentation, there's a few things that I'm going to go back and look at uh, that. Number one, um, which um, was the condition that you mentioned, uh, uh, which could be as... Um, uh, yeah, that's the one. Um, and the second thing is that I, I'm yet to um, read more on high volume injections, so I'm going to go and do a little bit more um, um, follow up on them references. Uh, more. Uh, one of the things I don't know whether you mentioned or not, uh, I just wanted to, to ask you was that uh, the rehab from mid portion to the insertional, um, yes. what sort of difference? Um, Very. Very good question. I, I, don't, I don't let them do any eccentric work. So um, it's all on a flat surface. Um, the insertion ones are the hardest. So I tend to 
I find Shockwave works really well with them, really mm-hmm. well. Um, and Rehab, obviously. Um, I've injected a few, and I, um, it's not the easiest of injections. Um, I have injected a few. I've done a couple of high volumes for insertion kidney cellulopathy. Um, but it is, it is we, we just don't do it below a step. Um, this presentation could have lasted three hours. Honestly, I have rushed. I feel, I feel as though I haven't done it justice. I've, I've sort of rushed through it because we're both in the middle of our clinics and we've woke up patients. However, if you have any further questions, please feel free to ask us at the bottom on YouTube or Facebook or wherever, we, wherever you're watching this. If you're, if you're going to be uh, listening to our podcast, uh, drop us an email and we'll try and answer any questions. Uh, the final episode of this series is going to be done during Christmas week. Um, and um, I'm not quite sure what it's going to be yet. So if you have any suggestions, please let us know. Otherwise, me and Tosif will do something um, interesting for the final episode of the series. Any more questions, young man? No, I think uh, well done, Abed. I really enjoyed that presentation. Yes, yeah. I think uh, um, we, we have slightly rushed it, but uh, this only means that uh, we can perhaps go back into it and just kind of uh, break it down into smaller pieces and just uh, perhaps do um, a separate talk on it. I think, you know, I think a lot of our presentations, we could easily do um, talks that could last for two days. Uh, we could do we, we, something that we were talking about because there's so much that we can, we can talk about. And I would love to go through the actual examination techniques and the ultrasound scanning and the different types of rehab um, because there's, I mean, you, I know you do diff, uh, like uh, rehab in a different way to why I do it. Um, and the, the analogy is the same. The, the background is the same. It's just, just that I used to do exactly what you were doing or what everybody else is doing, but now having access to you know, the gym or the more equipment, you just make it a little bit more jazzy. But the bottom line is, is exactly the same. I turned once the once the main Achilles pain has resolved, I tend to get them to do seated calf raises to build the muscle at the lower calf, the soleus muscle. And I tend to get them to try and load it more than their body weight, depending on what function they want to achieve. But anyway, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope you've been, I hope you've all been amused by the window cleaner. He said it was a window cleaner. I'm sure. I it. It, looks, it looks absolutely squeaky clean. And uh, just to prove uh, that it was the window cleaner, I actually took an image. We which, took, uh, let's show. That's the window cleaner. That's the window cleaner. Look, looks like Spider-Man trying up your windows. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're going to go. Thank you. Right. Take care then. Bye-bye.